All right, hello everyone. Uh, whether you're at our West Campus or 15th Street, or Traditions, or our partners in LaSalle, we are so glad that you are here. It is so fun to be a part of this church and to see all that God is doing in people's lives. I'm speaking of that next week is our baptism weekend where we get to celebrate new life in Christ. We do this twice a year and it is definitely a highlight of our year. Uh, baptism is a way to publicly declare your faith in Christ. It is not a a means or a requirement for salvation. We are saved through our faith in Christ alone, not by any work that we do. But baptism is an important step of obedience for any believer in Jesus. Jesus commands us to be baptized. So if you have placed your faith in Jesus and you have never been baptized as a believer, we encourage you to do so next week. And I realize some of us, you know, perhaps were baptized as infants, <clears throat> which was really more about your parents' desire for you. But now that you have embraced Jesus for yourself, we encourage you to get baptized as a public expression of your faith in Jesus. So there is a brochure in your newsletter this week which explains more about baptism. Also, there's a 45-minute baptism orientation immediately after each service this weekend, both at our 15th Street campus as well as at our West campus. So if you know you're getting baptized <clears throat> or you're thinking about getting baptized, please attend the orientation immediately after the service. <clears throat> By the way, I also wanted to mention that we're going to be doing our Share Fest again this year on September 4th. So um, that's, that's um, uh, I just want to let you know about that. Some college students here, maybe uh, you're leaving for the summer. And so I wanted to make sure you get this, <clears throat> excuse me, on your calendar. Um, instead of having our typical worship services that weekend, we as a church are going to be going out together on Sunday morning, serving our community. And one thing I'm super excited about um, this year is that we really want to align Share Fest with our For the City and Beyond vision. And so we are hoping that many of the projects that we're going to be working on will be directly related to some of these nine initiatives in this vision. It's going to be a blast. It's going to be a great opportunity. Put it on your calendar now, September 4th. Okay, so we're in the midst of a teaching series entitled Holy Freedom. In this series, we are talking about how we can break free from the habits and the behaviors that are negatively impacting our lives. In other words, how we can walk in wholeness. Holiness, as we've been talking about, really is wholeness. It's experiencing the life we were created to live. So how do we break free from, from some of those negative things that are impacting our lives? Last week, we looked at the issue of, or the area of sexual and we talked about what, what sexual wholeness is and why it's important and how we can experience that. And by the way, we put together a, a resource guide for sexual wholeness, especially as it relates to pornography. This guide has suggested books and computer filters and information about support groups. These guys are available in the ne next area as well as online um, with the sermon online or on our Christ Community app. Parents, if you missed last week's message, I strongly encourage you to watch it online. Your children need you to be informed about this and to be proactive. They need you in this area to be proactive about these things for their sake. Well, today we're going to look at another very practical issue Paul raises as it relates to freedom, and that is the issue of anger. Anger. Just the other day, I was reading an article um, someone had sent me, and the person who, who wrote this article was criticizing something that I 
am a, that's a part of my life, something that I believe in. And so as I was reading this, I started to get mad. I actually been, began composing a somewhat angry response to this person. I don't even know them. To this person, right, who was proclaiming themselves to be sort of an expert in this. But in my opinion, they didn't know what they were talking about. So there I am at my desk, having just finished a message, writing a message on anger. Um, and I'm getting all riled up about this. I mean, this, this is me. This is us, right? Anger is everywhere. Every day we hear news stories about how angry our society is right now. In the political realm, anger is off the charts. I mean, people are beating each other up at political rallies and candidates are spewing forth anger towards each other at levels that I don't remember in my lifetime. And it's not just politics. I, I saw on the news last week um, a former NFL player who was driving in his car with his wife and someone came up and, and rear-ended, accidentally rear-ended the guy. I think it was an accident. Um, the guy who rear-ended him got out of the car. There was an exchange of heated words, and then he just shot and killed the NFL player right in front of his wife. I mean, this, this is our society. Everyone seems to be so angry, so easily offended. I periodically get on this football website for my college team and they, they have these message boards where people, you know, bring up topics and interact. I'm amazed at how angry everyone is. Maybe it's because my team's not doing very well, but, but you know, how angry everyone is and how rude they are to each other. There is so much anger in our society today. And here's the deal. Everyone feels justified in their anger. Everyone feels that they have a legitimate reason to be angry at government, at politicians, at the person who cut them off in traffic, at their child's teacher or coach. Everyone feels that their anger is legitimate. And this includes us as Christ followers. We are often just as angry as our society. So how do we deal with our anger? That is a really important question. The reason it's important is because anger is one of the biggest causes of relational damage, emotional damage, as well as physiological damage in people's lives. Medical and psychological research have long revealed that anger and all the expressions of it can cause depression, suicidal thoughts, marital problems, verbal abuse, emotional wounds in our children's hearts, workplace tension, not to mention headaches, ulcers, high blood pressure, stress, digestive problems. I mean, you name it. Anger fractures our lives. It makes us less whole. And in fact, let me, let me just ask, where is anger fracturing your life right now? Where is it damaging your relationships? Where is it negatively impacting your physical or emotional health? And can you imagine the difference it would make if you and I learned how to deal with our anger in a healthy way? Can you imagine the life that would be poured into our workplace or into our, our school or our dorm floor or our neighborhood or our family if we, as Christ followers, if we we're the most unoffendable people on the planet. So let's talk about how that can happen. Look with me at Colossians chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. If you have your Bible, you can look there. I'll read it out loud. If you don't have your Bible with you, that's fine. Um, let me read this. But now, Colossians 3, beginning verse 8. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices 
and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. This is God's word to us. So Paul begins here by describing some of the ways that anger manifests itself. So let's unpack this list. He begins with the word anger. Now what's fascinating is that this word he uses here, it's the exact same word he used a few verses earlier in verse 6 to talk about God's wrath. So here's verse 6. Because of these, we talked about this last week, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Same word. Now, we talked last week about how God's wrath is motivated by his love. He feels anger toward sin because he knows the damage and the hurt and the pain that sin causes. We wouldn't want, let's just be honest here, we, if we think about it, we wouldn't want a God who didn't feel angry towards child abuse or sex trafficking or pornographers who make it their goal to get children and young people hooked on porn. We wouldn't want a God who didn't feel anger towards racism or oppression or injustice. So, so I, think, I think we understand, we understand this idea of God being angry at sin. What's interesting is that Paul uses the same word in verse 8, and in this context, he tells us to get rid of this kind of anger. So why is that? Why is it okay for God to express anger, but not okay for us? The reason is because God handles anger a lot better than we do, okay? The reason is because God is holy. He is absolutely sinless. He is perfect. He is loving. He is pure. That kind of a being can handle anger in a holy way. That kind of a being can, can handle anger in a way that is also perfectly loving and good. God's anger doesn't make him any less holy, any less loving, and that's the difference because our anger does. Our anger does. Most, if not all the time, our anger results in us being less loving. It results in us being less holy, less whole. See, we we have a hard time extricating our anger from our own sinfulness our own self-centeredness, our own pride. And that's why for us, anger is not something we handle very well. In fact, James says it this way. In James 1, verse 20, he says it this way. Our anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. You see, that's the issue. Our anger doesn't produce righteousness. It releases all sorts of damage in our own hearts as well as in the hearts and the lives of people around us. Even when we have a righteous cause for our anger, it is so hard for us to unentangle our personal feelings of being slighted or wanting revenge or whatever. See, the anger combined with our own sinfulness is not a good combination for any of us. It's not. God can handle anger. We can't. As well. Okay, so Paul then shows us in this list kind of how this anger can, can, where this anger can lead. So he mentions in verse 8 rage. Rage is when anger explodes. Um, It it easily turns into rage, right? It, It gets verbal, it gets physical or abusive. One study of domestic violence revealed that in, in 80% of the marriages where there was verbal abuse, it turned into physical abuse. 80%. When, it was, when there was verbal abuse, it turned into physical abuse. 
Shouting matches often come to blows. Anger is like a powder keg, right? Just waiting for something to ignite it. And so rage is one of those expressions. It's the way anger gets expressed. Um, But rage is not the only thing that anger can lead to. Paul also mentions in this list malice. Malice. See, malice is anger turned inward. In, in our hearts, we secretly hope something bad happens to this person. We would never say it. We would never express it out here, but we just secretly hope it happens. We, we have feelings of malice. We have feelings of harm towards them. And this then easily turns into bitterness and, and resentment, which are very damaging physically and emotionally. Now, sometimes this malice that we feel towards another person, sometimes this can, can, can manifest itself in a passive-aggressive sort of way. Um, sarcasm is a, is a really, um, uh, I wouldn't say effective, but it's sort of, if you're, if you're trying for a passive-aggressive approach, a sarcasm is a really effective way, right? Because what happens is we make some sarcastic comment about someone, and then if they come and confront us about that comment, we say, oh, I was only joking. I was only joking. No, no, no. Sarcasm is rooted in contempt. It's rooted in malice. Another way that malice can manifest itself is when it turn, we turn it towards ourselves. So perhaps you're in a situation where you um, have a parent or a roommate, or a spouse, or a boss who continually points out your faults and continually denigrates you and criticizes you. What can happen over time is that we just shut down emotionally and we start to believe we have no value. Our anger, our anger gets amplified, but it gets turned inward. It gets amplified towards ourselves, which can lead to depression, thoughts of suicide, So in addition, so he says anger, rage, malice. In addition to malice, then Paul also mentions slander. And this occurs when in our anger, we talk to other people negatively about this person, right? Or about this person we're angry at. We, we, We talk to others about it. So we spread, you know, slander. It's a subtle way of furthering our agenda and, and harming the other person. That's really what we want to happen, but it's a really subtle way to do that. All of these things he's describing here, they're all ways that anger, our anger becomes a destructive force in our lives and our relationships. It's not just rage. We think, oh, I don't have a problem with anger because I don't the rage. Well, maybe you have anger that turns inward or maybe you have anger that you're using in terms of gossip and slander. It's still rooted in the same thing. Okay, so, so how can we deal with our anger? <clears throat> in order to answer that, we need to look at a critically important question what is at the root of our anger? This is a really, really important question. If you really want to deal with anger in, in your life, or if I want to deal with my life, got to ask this question. What is at the root of my anger? Almost always, anger is fueled by needs or desires within us that are blocked by someone else. They're, they're, they're blocked or they're unmet. Sometimes these are legitimate needs. Okay, sometimes they're legitimate needs. A need to be respected. A need to be loved. A need to be valued. When we don't experience those things, it is easy to become angry. Children who grow up in angry homes often become angry themselves. Why? Because their hearts are being neglected. 
It's not just, oh, yeah, just because dad was that way or mom was that way, I'm that way. Yeah, it, yeah, but it's because this anger, their hearts were neglected. And so they learned then that anger is, is the, the, the way to respond to that neglect. It's the natural way to respond to that. That's what they learn. So sometimes our anger is because of legitimate unmet needs. But there are other times when our anger is rooted in self-centeredness. We don't necessarily see it in the moment, but it's rooted in self-centeredness. We get angry because someone is blocking what we want. We expect everyone else to adjust to our desires. We want people to, to treat us the way we you know, deserve to be. We think we deserve to be treated. We want them to be quiet when we need them to be quiet, right? We want them to meet our expectations. And so when our kids are noisy, while we're trying to concentrate on something we're doing, we yell at them. Right? We want every, everything to you know, kind of meet our desires in this moment. Or when someone pulls out in front of us, maybe they don't see us driving and they accidentally kind of pull out in front of us while driving and it slows us down. We have to actually hit the brakes, right? And how traumatic that is. Um, and so, so what do we do? We honk at them, you know? And then all the while yelling a few choice words, their direction. And maybe we try to pass them and kind of show them what we thought of what they did or whatever. But, but so often our anger is rooted in our own needs, desires, or agenda being blocked by someone else. Instead of getting those needs met in an appropriate way, we exalt ourselves above everyone else, including God. And we, and we feel perfectly justified in doing so. Now, now again, here's the deal. In some, in some cases, we actually are. We are justified. Perhaps this person really did cut us off in traffic, or someone really did mistreat us, and so our anger is justified. The problem is, as we've been saying all along here, the problem is we don't handle anger very well, even justified anger. We don't handle it very well. We appoint ourselves judge and jury. We live our life, what happens is we live our lives through this, everyone else is a jerk, not me, lens, right? That's kind of how we view the world. This lens of everyone else is wrong. Everyone else is a jerk, but not me. <clears throat> and, and so what happens is we can just sit around and focus on all the reasons why we should be angry at these people or at this person. But all that does, all that does is make us more bitter and more cynical and critical. That's what it does. It just shrinks our heart. And, and it makes us less whole. Even if we're justified in it, it just makes us less whole. And the irony, of course, is, we never really think about this, but the irony is when we accidentally pull out in front of someone, we didn't see them coming, and we accidentally pull out in front of them, and, and, and then they have to break for us. When we do that and they honk at us, what do we feel? Anger at them. Come on, give me a break. It's just a mistake. Right? Do you see the double standard? It's always their issue. It's always their fault. But when we make a mistake, we want them to give us a break, right? But, but we would never do that, right, if they did that to us. It's just a total double standard. Okay, so, so, so now that we've identified the root of our anger, what do we do with it? How do we rid ourselves of this? Well, Paul tells us in this passage, he uses a very powerful analogy to help us in this regard. It's the analogy of clothing, he says in verse 9, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self. Now, when you think about clothing, you realize that you and I, we have the ability to take off one piece of clothing and to put on another. So imagine that our old self of anger 
Imagine, you know, that, that typical way we respond to anger we have for years or whatever. Imagine that that's just like an old jacket that you've worn for years. Just an old jacket. We've worn it for years. It feels very comfortable to us. It's the way that, that we've always responded when people offend us or don't do what we want. We've always responded this way with rage or slander or malice or whatever. We've protected ourselves with this jacket. It really feels comfortable. We've protected ourselves with this jacket. The problem is when we wear this jacket, it causes lots of damage in our own lives and in our relationships. Okay. I think we, uh, hopefully we can see that. It causes damage. So what Paul is saying is that because of our relationship with Jesus, we don't have to wear that jacket anymore. We don't have to wear that because Jesus offers us a new jacket to put on in that moment. Again, this is a continual process. I'll explain it in a moment. But, but we can, we, in, in, in that moment, we have a choice. We can take off the old jacket, the old way that we typically responded. We've done it for years or whatever. And we now can put on a new jacket and, and, and verse 12 and following shows us what this new jacket looks like. Let me, let me read this. Therefore, Paul says, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, with kindness, with humility, with gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you have, has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love. That's the jacket that Jesus wants us to put on. Again, not, not just once. Again, he wants us to put that jacket on whenever we feel anger rising in our hearts. Put on compassion in that moment. Put on kindness. Put on humility. Put on the jacket of gentleness. Put on the jacket of patience, forgiveness, and love. That's what holiness, that's what wholeness looks like. Now, now, now this is not easy. It's not easy, and we all know that, especially when we've worn the old jacket for a long time. It is not easy to put on this new jacket. In fact, it is a, it is a radical response. It's going to feel totally radical. It's a radical response, especially... In a society like ours, where everyone feels justified in holding on to and expressing their own anger, it's going to be radical. This is radical stuff. But it is a consistent theme in Scripture. It's not just this passage, it's everywhere. For instance, Jesus said, the Sermon on the Mount, remember, he said, Love your enemies. Basically, you know, love your enemies, big deal if you love those who love you. Anyone can do that. Jesus said, love your enemies. I'm calling you to love your enemies. See, holiness, again, this wholeness idea, holiness, it is radical stuff, especially in our relationships, in, in how we respond to anger. And that's what makes it so powerful. Because it's so radical, that's what makes it so powerful. I mean, a great example of this is Martin Luther King Jr. I mean, when, when you think of the injustices that African Americans were experiencing years ago in the South, he, as their leader, would have been perfectly justified in putting on the old jacket of anger. But Martin Luther King Jr. chose a different strategy. In his autobiography, he describes one occasion where he was falsely accused of something. And this is what he wrote. <clears throat> that Monday, I went home with a heavy heart. I was weighed down by the terrible sense of guilt, remembering that on two or three occasions, I had allowed myself to become angry and indignant. I had spoken hastily and resentfully. 
Yet I knew this was no way to solve a problem. You must not harbor anger, I admonished myself. You must be willing to suffer the anger of the opponent and yet not return in anger. And then later in his speech, he said, we are not advocating violence. We want to love our enemies. I want you, he's speaking to the people, I want you to love your enemies. See, even though his anger was justified, he knew where it would lead. And so he made a choice. Even though he's feeling this anger, he made a choice to put on love, to put on compassion, to put on humility. That choice was rooted in his faith in Christ. And think, think about the impact of that choice. Our society is completely different today in a good way because of that choice. I mean, can you imagine if he had chosen anger and violence? Imagine if he had led a movement of anger. I mean, our nation would be even more divided than it is today. It was his choice to put on compassion and love and humility that fueled the civil rights movement. It's what fueled it. Again, this is powerful stuff. It, it, it wasn't that he didn't feel angry. It wasn't that he didn't feel anger. It wasn't even that his anger wasn't justified. No, no, no. But in his anger, he chose to run to Jesus and to find in Jesus a way to respond differently. See, that's the key. I am not saying that we ignore our feelings of anger or that we stuff our feelings of anger. What I'm saying is that we acknowledge our anger, own it, acknowledge it, and then bring it to Jesus. Don't try to pretend it's not there. Just own it, bring it to Jesus. I mean, it's really what Paul talked about in verse 1 and 2 of chapter 3 of Colossians, which we spent the first two weeks of this series looking at. It's so important, the importance of setting our hearts on Jesus and the importance of setting our minds on Jesus. Those two things, our hearts and our minds. That's the key to holiness in any area of our lives. It's the key. It is not about suppressing behavior. It's not. Hopefully, we've heard this over and over again. It is not about suppressing behavior. Holiness is about experiencing this union with Jesus. Union with Jesus. So what does this look like in our anger? Sometimes, sometimes this means bringing to him the pain that we feel from neglect in our marriage or in our friendships or from our parents or whatever. Those legitimate needs that are not being met in another person. We let Jesus, we bring those to Jesus. They're legitimate needs. We bring those to Jesus and we let his love and his truth fill those places and heal those places. Also, I feel like I need to mention that if anger is deeply rooted in terms of trauma or pain in our past, I would encourage you, I'd encourage you to seek out biblical counseling as well as to utilize our prayer ministries here. Last week I mentioned our Hope Abounds ministry that that can help people pray through things like this. Okay, so that's if our anger really is rooted in legitimate needs or it's it's rooted in in something like that. What about when our anger is rooted in self-centeredness, in wanting our own way? And sometimes it's hard to admit that, but let's say we've worked through it and we realize when we stop and say, okay, what's at the root of this? We realize, you know, it's really kind of self-centeredness. Um, what, what, what do we do in that? Like, like that anger I experienced when, I, when I'm reading this article or whatever, I was angry and I, I wanted to prove, this per, prove that the, this person was wrong, right? I was right, uh, he was wrong, and I had this angry response behind it. What, what do we do when our anger flares up like that? See, we need to bring that to Jesus as well. 
We need to bring that to Jesus as well. Acknowledging our own God complex, because that's kind of what it is. We want everyone to, to, to do what we want. We want to be God of the universe, and everyone else needs to do what we want them to do. So it's that we, we need to acknowledge our God complex and how we want everyone to do what we want to do, what we want them to think what we think. We, we confess that to him. We confess that to him. And then we do what Paul says here. In that angry moment, we put on this new clothing of compassion. We put on kindness. We put on forgiveness. We put on humility. Now, how do we do that? You may be thinking, well, yeah, that sounds easy, but how do we do that? It's by looking to Jesus. Because remember, his, remember he was compassionate towards you. <laughs> That's Paul's point here. He forgave you and me. He was kind towards us. That's how we can put on these things. Because we've experienced these things from Jesus. He was humble, he was forgiving, he was kind, he was compassionate. So because, we, because he was that way towards us, we can look to him and, and let him fill us with these things, fill us with his spirit. And folks, trying hard to get rid of our anger will not work. It won't work. Trying hard to get rid of it. It's, it's, like, it's like trying to keep a beach ball submerged underwater. You can do it for a while, right? But eventually it's gonna pop out of the water somewhere. What works much better is to let the air out of the ball, right? <laughs> that works much better. Let the air out of the beach ball. To try to get rid of our anger will not work. Instead, we can let the air out of our anger by running to Jesus in that moment and surrendering our anger to him, letting him fill us with his love, fill us with his power in that moment. It's, it's repentant. It's not easy but it's life-giving. Our author, Dallas Willard, writes this. He says, stepping out of anger means you are surrendering your will to God. It means you have accepted that you don't have to have your way. That's huge. And only God can help us in that moment because otherwise we won't, I want to have it my way, right? We can surrender that. It's huge. It is all about surrender, about trust, really. Are we willing to trust Jesus with our anger? Are we willing to trust Jesus with our need to be right? We just want to let this person know we're right. Are we willing to trust Jesus with that? Are we willing to trust Jesus with our need to be in control? And realize, you know, I'm let you control this, Lord. Are we willing to, 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 to trust Jesus with our need to have everyone around us meet our expectations? Can we trust Jesus with all of that? That's the issue. Can we trust him with that? When we run to Jesus with our anger, it enables us, and this is so huge, folks, it enables us to stop the cycle of bitterness and negativity that's just exuding out of us and into our relationships. It enables us to stop the cycle of that, and it opens a door, and this is so cool, it opens a door when we respond this way. It opens a door for us to actually pour life into the difficult relationships around us. It allows us to pour life into our family, pour life into our workplace, pour life into these places. It's awesome. It's huge, the difference this makes. A while back, someone gave me a book um, called Unoffendable by a guy named Brant Hansen. It's really a fascinating book, actually. But <clears throat> Hansen tells the story of how he used to work part-time as a baseball announcer for some minor league games and some major league spring training games. He would sometimes be called to fill in for a friend of his named John. Now, John was a class act, okay? He, he was polished, he was polite, he was smooth, he was successful as an announcer, and he was also a professing Christian. So seated next to John, 
How does everything act together? Seated next to John at every game was a guy named Bill. So they were the kind of co-commentators or whatever. Bill was the polar opposite in, in every way. So Bill was this very rough former baseball player whose life had taken some twists and turns for the worst. So he was boisterous and he was foul and his language was crude and kind of pornographic even. So <clears throat> Hanson didn't like to be around Bill at all. In fact, whenever he had to work with Bill, he sort of wondered to himself, how does John deal with this guy? He's a total jerk. How does John deal with this guy night in and night out? How does he handle this? Well, he got his answer one night. When he was working alongside Bill, he was called in. John wasn't there. So he was working alongside Bill. And Bill found out in the course of the conversation, Bill found out that, that John was a, was a friend of, 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 of Branson. So the conversation went something like this. You're friends with John. Really? Yeah. You know what? He said, this is Bill talking. I got to say something about that guy. That guy, John, he, he is, and then he paused for a moment, and he continued, a couple weeks ago, you know what he did? He brought in a plaque he had made for me. It was the magazine cover from back in the day, me and my teammates. He had the original cover put in a plaque, and he gave it to me to honor me. And Bill, at this point, started to tear up. You know what? He went on, that guy is really good to me. And he just treats everyone the same here. All of us the same. The interns, me, the stadium manager, everybody. He just treats us all like he loves us. Several seconds passed before he finally concluded, I, I still can't believe he did that for me. So Hanson went home. He immediately emailed John to let him know that he had been given one of the greatest compliments, that he treats all of us the same. And then Hanson writes this. John simply refused to be offended. He was free to love Bill just the way he was. My instinct, he writes, and I'm sure the instinct of many in Bill's life was to tell Bill to shut up or at least to watch his mouth or get his act together or maybe ignore him. But John, John went out and made him a plaque. How about you and me? I mean, where is anger fracturing our lives? Where is it damaging our relationships? And what would it look like for us in those angry moments? We all have them. What would it look like for us in those angry moments to set our hearts on Jesus? Choosing to put on his compassion, to put on his kindness, to put on his humility. I mean, can you imagine the wholeness and the joy and the freedom that we would experience can you imagine the life that would be poured into our spouse, into our children, into our friendships, our school, our workplace? It would be amazing. It would be amazing. Let's pray. So Holy Spirit, we welcome you to take these truths that we have been hearing and to apply them to each of our lives. I pray that our focus here would not be on our spouse, hoping that they're listening or hoping that someone else is listening. Our focus would be on ourselves. And here's the question I want us to ask just before you, before you, Lord, it's where is anger fracturing our lives? So let me just ask you all here, just in the quiet of your heart, just think about this. Where is anger fracturing your life? In terms of relationships, your emotional well-being, your physical health, where is that happening?
whether it's rage or malice or slander, gossip, whatever, where is that happening? Just think about that for a moment. And here's what I want you to do. I just, I just want you to ask in the quiet of your heart, just ask the Holy Spirit, okay, Holy Spirit, what is at the root of that? It's a really important question. So Holy Spirit, would you show us whatever you've revealed in terms of these areas of anger in our lives? Holy Spirit, what's at the root of that? So whatever is at the root of that, if it's maybe some wounds in your past, maybe it's just unmet, legitimate longings, maybe it is this kind of God complex, sort of everyone needs to you know, do what you want, wherever, whatever it is, I want to ask you, why, why not in this moment invite Jesus into that? Just invite Jesus into that. Bring that to him. Welcome him into your pain. Welcome him into these places of unmet longings, welcome him into your self-centeredness. Just own it. Yeah, this is what I'm experiencing, Lord. This is what, it's, it's at the root of this. And now I want to invite you in this moment just to put on Jesus' compassion. Just put on his kindness. Say, Lord Jesus, I just want to put on your compassion. I've experienced it firsthand because you've demonstrated it towards me. I want to put that on right now. I put on your kindness. I put on your humility, Lord, and, and your forgiveness. I put on these things because you've demonstrated them towards us. And so I want to just pray, Lord, I want to pray in all of our relationships, in all of the areas of our lives, we would learn to take off the old self of anger and to put on this new self, to put you on, to run to you, and to respond in these situations in supernatural ways. It would be supernatural, <laughs> to not wear that old jacket, but to respond in a totally different way. And we know in our own power, we can't do it, but we can in your power. So I pray for that. I pray for healing. I pray, Holy Spirit, you would fill us. And where anger is bringing fracturing, we pray you would begin to bring healing and wholeness as we choose to put on you. That I pray for that more healing more life to be poured out. Uh, we love you. Thank you for inviting us to live whole lives, lives that are no longer fractured by anger, to live whole lives and to pour life into others as a result. Thank you for that. We pray that you do that through us, Lord. So we have an opportunity to respond um, in worship. So why don't we stand, whatever campus you're at here, just stand. The worship team's gonna lead us in, in a few songs and, and if you wanna sit down at some point, that's totally fine, but let's just fix our eyes on Jesus, this amazing savior. 
So set us free, Lord Jesus, to worship you. Fill this place, Holy Spirit. We want to experience you. We want to put on Jesus in greater ways. So fill us, Lord. Move in us, we pray.